Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Three Feather Photo Co. In fact, Kate at Three Feather is among our regular photographers for the magazine. She's amazing. And to the Resplendent Garden, an event venue. You can read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com, courtesy of Northwest Physicians Group. And our January-February issue is available now. Today's guest is Corey Cooper Clements. Corey was inducted last year into the Panhandle Sports Hall of Fame, along with her dad, Rick Cooper, the former basketball coach for West Texas A&M and Wayland Baptist, making them the first father-daughter duo to be inducted. Now, Corey was a star volleyball player at Amarillo High School in the early 2000s. She ended up being one of the best players to ever come from this area. She was on the U.S. national youth team. She was heavily recruited to play in college. And Corey went on to star at Nebraska, where she helped win the 2006 national championship. She came back to Texas to coach and was moving up quickly in that world when she returned to Amarillo High for the 2018 season where she led the Lady Sandy's volleyball team to a 33-win season in what Corey says was her dream job. And that's where things got really interesting. Corey resigned at the end of that season due to issues related to playing time decisions, support from the administration, and what she described as the political elements of her job. And if you don't remember it, I encourage you to go back and read about that controversy because it was a really big controversy at the time. So today, several years later, she's still not coaching. She's working as a speech pathologist with Canyon ISD. And I thought this was a good time to have Corey on as a guest and look back at her career and that tumultuous period. So here's Corey Clements. Corey Clements, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk to you, and I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's okay. just to ask, why are you here? So what brought you to the Amarillo Canyon area? Well, I grew up here. Um, I went to Amarillo High School and played volleyball there. My brother went there too. We both graduated from Emerald High School and um, went off and did my college thing and, and came right back. So my entire family lives here. My brother's an orthopedic surgeon in the area. My dad has been in this area for a long time and this is home. Okay. You kind of passed over a whole lot of I interesting did. things with high school and college. Yeah. Uh, you were a prominent <laughs> local athlete. Tell me, uh, well, let's start by talking about your family because okay. you... You grew up in a sports family. I did. Um, tell me what that was like. Uh, it was awesome. I mean, I don't really know any other way, but I grew up in a gym and I grew up around um, team sports and uh, just really had a great model growing up of the importance of um, being a, on a team and the value of being on a team. And I think that's really served me well as an adult. I got to compete at the highest level um, for collegiate athletics. I got to travel the world with volleyball. So it was just, you know, it, it was great. It was competitive in my house and it was a learning experience and it was fun. And um, I was just really fortunate to be the kind of athlete that I was having my dad and my mom kind of guide that process for me. Uh, there's a lot that can get lost in that whole recruiting process. And I was really fortunate to have good guidance in that whole process. So for listeners that don't know uh, about your dad, yeah. um, tell them who he was and, okay. and kind of the 
I guess the legacy you grew up with. Sure. Uh, Rick Cooper, he was the men's basketball coach at WT for 21 years. Uh, He retired from there and went to be the athletic director at Wayland Baptist University for seven to 10 years, somewhere in there. He spent two years at Texas Tech as the men's uh, basketball uh, chief of staff. You know, my dad, he was a great coach in the area and he's um, well-respected. He's His coaching tree uh, stretches across the nation. So, you know, Jason Pillion at Amaral High played mm-hmm. for my dad. Vinay Patel at Angelo coached with my dad. Um, coach at West Virginia University, women's coach out there, coached with my dad. So there's just, you know, his, his influence is far and wide and I'm really lucky to I've grown up with that. So what's it like growing up as a competitive athlete when your dad is also a coach? I, I know you, you're known for volleyball. Yes. Um, you're tall, though, so I assume you yes. also play basketball. I play a little basketball, yeah. Um, wh- what's that like as a coach's kid? You know, my, my parents were always really good about respecting boundaries. And, and my dad had, has always said the true measure of success of a team is how well everyone knows, accepts and plays their given role. And that co- goes down to everybody on the team, coaches, and most importantly, really parents. Um, so he he played the role of parent for me well, he never um, overstepped that line, he never um, tried to control my experience, he really just gave me guidance when he could see that I needed it, but let me make mistakes mm-hmm. and um, deal with those mistakes. And that was a huge growing experience for both me and my brother. And, you know, my brother played for my, my dad. Yeah. And, I, you know, his freshman year, he played like a total of six minutes. Talk about, you know, a learning experience for, for those two and for my mom. I mean, we, we were all playing dual roles in that experience. And it ended up working out and being something really special for my dad and brother. But not every athlete has that kind of guidance um, in their career. And I feel really fortunate that I did. I've known coaches who are parents – to ask, do you want me to respond as your coach or your dad or your coach yeah. or your mom? Yeah. Uh, which I've always thought was, yeah. that's the right approach because yeah. the kid's not always going to want yeah. one or the other. Yeah. You know, when I committed to Nebraska, I, I hung up the phone with the head coach and I was just feeling real good about myself. You know, I just committed to a team that just played in the national championship. And my dad said, that's great. Congratulations. What are you going to do when you get up there and you don't get to play? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that question gets asked of kids enough. How are you going to respond when you get up there and, and you don't get to play? Because you are the best player on your team here, but you're not going to be the best player on your team there. And I think that perspective really put me in a good place mm-hmm. to go into my freshman year and know that I had to earn every bit of, of what I got. And I think that that was a huge point for me. Was that the reality once you got to Nebraska? Oh, yeah. That's was, not something we talk about yeah, very often. There was never a day that okay. I wasn't fighting for my position. Um, and, and it made me better. I, I think, you know, there's an opportunity for complacency when you're not having to earn your playing time and earn your spot. And I was never in that position. I always had to to compete. And there were times when I didn't get to play because I wasn't playing the best or I mm-hmm. wasn't performing the best in practice. And that, too, was something I had to, you know, accept and play that role. And um, I I had it in me to to earn that playing time, and I did start all four years, but it was never easy, but it was always worth it. Was there a point where you remember choosing volleyball over basketball? Yes. Um, my dad will tell you that it's when I jammed my finger in the driveway playing basketball, and I just never really wanted to play again. Okay. Um, when I was a freshman, I was playing volleyball and basketball at Emerald High, and I made um, the youth national team, which was going to compete in Puerto Rico at the North Central Championships that summer. And I, when I made that team, um, I thought, okay, I think I have a pretty 
good future here. Okay. I need to kind of focus on that. And Dale Blount was the women's basketball coach at Emerald High at the time, and he was very supportive. Um, he never made me doubt that decision. He always encouraged me, you know, as a volleyball player and, and just kind of knew that I wasn't making the decision lightly. So, and then I, I got to, we, we won that North Seca tournament. We got to go compete in China um, where we lost in the bronze medal match, you know, so I got to represent my country and mm-hmm. that was just really special. Tell me about your college experience. I lived the dream. Um, we won the national championship my freshman year. We went back to the national tournament my junior year. We played in a regional final every year that I was there. Um, set, I was part of record-setting crowds, um, but Nebraska continues to set the bar. I mean, if you follow women's sports at all, you saw that they hosted a, a volleyball match in their right. football stadium, yes. and I got to go to that. Largest attendance for volleyball For women's match? sports. Oh, women's sports, okay. Ever. Um, a world record, and I got to take my mom, so Nebraska honored all the alumni by giving us two free tickets, and um, you know, you're a parent of, of athletes, you know what it's like to take your kids all over the country and, you know, watch them compete and do those kinds of things. And um, so it was really fun to, to give that back to my mom and take her to that. I want to hear from you about how you think about career when you were a student athlete like mm-hmm. that at Nebraska, mm-hmm. because because of the way our culture has gone, you know, if, if you're a high level football player, Mm-hmm. You can think, okay, I might have a career in the NFL. If not mm-hmm. the NFL, then something associated sure. with that. There's not always the same opportunities for volleyball sure. or for women. So what do you do? Do you go thinking, okay, this is going to be the pinnacle, these four years, Yeah, and then I've got to figure out something else to do? Yeah, yeah. So um, you, there's there's some pro opportunities overseas for volleyball. And as I was ending my career, I was kind of starting to explore those opportunities. And the head coach at Nebraska, John Cook, he sat me down and he said, Corey, you will never be able to top the experience that you just had here at Nebraska. It's my recommendation that you you end your volleyball career now. Okay. And that was not – it was hard to hear, but I was also just really appreciative of his candor and his honesty um, because he was right. I mean, I had just – played in front of the most for the most beloved volleyball program in the country, Mm -hmm. arguably. And, you know, my body was failing me. I'd had, you know, five knee surgeries. I, it wasn't the right choice for me to continue to play volleyball. And he knew that where I may not have, Mm -hmm. and he was able to have that conversation with me. And and I trusted him enough to take that and heed that advice. Um, So, but me going to college was always about me getting my degree. And I was able to get my bachelor's and my master's in speech language pathology while I was at Nebraska. And that's what I'm most thankful for. Okay. About Were experience. you looking at the speech pathology as a long-term career, or were you thinking about coaching at that point? Coaching was nowhere on my radar. Okay, not at all. No, I went to Nebraska. I was one semester undeclared. And from that moment on, I was in the communication science disorders program. And I had a great mentor through that program, Dr. John Bernthal. And his daughter is actually the head volleyball coach at Creighton. Okay. Um, and he's he's recently passed, but he um, kind of took me under his wing because he knew what it meant to be a college volleyball player because his daughter coached at Creighton and to deal with the high level demands of being a student athlete. And so, no, it was coaching was never on my radar. I came back here to Amarillo after graduating with my master's and started working at BSA hospital for a couple of years when Jan Barker called me said, Hey, coach Judy took the Bushland job. I need an assistant. Will you come be my assistant? She was the head coach at Emerald high at yes, that point. Yes. And so I said, I don't have a teaching degree. Uh, you know, I don't, she's like, well, you can do it. You can get it. You can do alternative certification and get your teaching degree. So that's what I did. And so I'm like 
oddly certified in a bunch of different things. So I'm a certified and licensed speech language pathologist. I'm a certified teacher for health and PE and family and consumer sciences. Okay. And I also have my principal certification that I got while I was coaching and teaching, thinking maybe I'd want to go into athletic administration at some point. So I have all these certifications, but currently just using the speech language pathology one. Okay. Tell me what your coaching career looked like. So I coached two years at Animal High for Jan Barker as her assistant. And then I got the head coaching job at Grapevine High School Mm -hmm. in Grapevine, Texas, and was there for two years. We um, lost regional quarterfinal my first year, and then we lost to Randall in five in the regional finals. Grapevine was 5A? 5A at the time. Mm -hmm. Yep. So lost to Coach Culpepper. In a, in a devastating reverse sweep. Um, and then I went to Cedar Park down mm-hmm. in the Austin area where I ended up playing Emerald High in the state championship in 2016, which was just um, surreal to yeah. get to, to square off against Coach Parker and my alma mater and, you know, the several of those girls that were playing. I had coached as their JV coach. Okay. And um, so there was just a lot of overlap in that experience. And we lost that game. Then I went to Texas Tech for one season as their director of operations. My husband, George, works for Bayer in Lubbock. So we were living in Lubbock. So I did that for a year. And then when Emerald High opened up, I came down here and took what I thought at the time. And really, it was at the time my dream job and right. had, a, had a great season there. We played in the regional semifinals and um, really, really loved that team and those girls. And Really loved the coaches that I worked with there. So, and then took a pretty harsh pivot out of coaching yeah. from there. <laughs> well, let's talk about that harsh yeah. pivot yeah. in a moment. Coming back to Emerald High, you you talk about saying it was your dream job, and it made sense like it should have been mm-hmm. because you were such a star of that program. You had the relationships with the school, with the girls, mm-hmm. and Emerald High is is a a volleyball powerhouse yeah. and has been for mm-hmm. years and years. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like one of those fits that, all right, yeah. you're here and this is going to be, you know, the, you're going to be the the next Jan Barker mm-hmm. to, to kind of mm-hmm. lead it over the next, uh, you know, 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Is that how you saw it? Did you think, okay, I'm home and this is what I'm going to do for a while? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was kind of always my goal. You know, when I left as the assistant, um, I remember having conversations of, well, don't you want to wait and, and be the head coach when Jan leaves? And I thought, well, I'd like that, but I need to see if I'm cut out for this, you know, and and then I went and was a head coach at other places and had tremendous success. And that was all because of the people that I surrounded myself with. I mm-hmm. had great assistant coaches and I had great players and great parents in those programs who really helped facilitate success. Um, and when I came back here, you know, those, those pieces were all still in place. There was a great coaching staff um, there, uh, great other coaches in the other sports at Emerald mm-hmm. High and great kids. And so, yeah, it felt like, you know, it felt like the pieces had all fallen into place and they had, it was a great job. It was a great team and it was a great season. And I'm thankful for that time there. So listeners will either um, know exactly why you're only referring to it as one season, <laughs> yes, or they will not. Um, so I want to talk about what happened um, to the degree that you're comfortable talking sure, about it. Sure, there was there was some controversy and uh, it kind of spread outside this area. Yeah, walk me through how you think about that story now that we are several years removed sure. from, from it. You know, the coaching landscape in high school has really changed and and evolved. And I wouldn't say necessarily for the better. I think there are a lot of outside influences on coaching decisions and team dynamics that did not used to be there. And um, I was not the kind of person that 
dealt with those outside influences in a way that appeased the people in charge. Okay. You weren't into the politics I was side not of into that. the I was not into the to politics side. You know, I've always believed that being a part of a team is a privilege and playing time is earned. And for the vast majority of the kids on that team, they all bought into and parents, they all bought into that as well. But there there was a few in that mix that kind of took issues with that perspective and um it ended up just not being the right fit Mm -hmm. for me there. You know, I just, I was in a a fortunate position that so many coaches are not in to speak that truth Mm -hmm. and to know that I could hold my position with poise and grace and and speak my truth, knowing that I did not have to coach again, that I had this career of speech language pathology. I had a support system in place that I did not have to keep quiet in order to get another coaching job. I could, you know, speak my story. And Mm -hmm. not all coaches have that opportunity. And I was thankful that I had the immense support of this area in doing that. Um, And so yeah, it was a it was a harsh pivot that I did not see coming. And it took a lot of time to work through all of that. But I'm just so thankful that it happened. Um, I wish my exit from coaching had been less public and less painful. But I, I never regret that it happened. I'm interested in how you thought about it because there was, at least from the outside, you know, you seem to have the support of all of your fellow coaches Mm -hmm. because they all understood exactly what you were dealing with, having pressure about playing time Mm -hmm. come from positions of authority. However, it did set you up against some people who had more power than you in the district. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a point where you thought, okay, the decisions I make right now are going to impact how I coach, mm-hmm. if I coach, mm-hmm. um, whether I'm doing this at all in a few yeah. like how long did you think about do I need to give some push and pull toward the mm-hmm. other side, or were you just were you confident enough to know this is how it's gonna be with me? I was confident enough okay. to know that this is how that there was not a struggle internally I, then. No, I mean I I um went through some processes with the with the district and um but but really I, I never thought I, I'm not going to compromise on my values and what I believe is right. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a position to be an example for young girls on standing up for yourself and speaking your truth and, and holding your ground. And, um, and I never, I don't want to say I never wanted to be in that position. I didn't want to be in that position so publicly. (laughs) Nobody. Right. Right. Um, but you know, I, I just feel fortunate that, I did have the immense support of this area and um, of my fellow coaches. And, you know, I think that speaks a little bit to the problem that there, there is in coaching lately that so many coaches, you know, resonated with my story. Right. Is that a problem that has an easy solution? Like, do you think about how do we find our way past this? You know, I've, I've put some thought into it and I always just find myself going in circles. I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I wish I did. Um, I think, you know, you see, there are places that have great support. When I was at Cedar Park, I had great athletic administration, academic administration, just really, really good support there. Um, and, and, you know, there are places, Canyon's got that. There's places that have a lot of great support. And I think that is the the first step is mm-hmm. just having that, um, just knowing they've got your back um, is, is a big first step. But I don't know what the answer is yeah. other than that. I really don't. Talk me through the emotions of that period. You, you, you've mentioned at least a couple of times now that 
you you didn't think you would have to deal with all that stuff so publicly. Yeah. And it did become really public. Um, how did you handle that? Like, how did you get through that part of it? Um, I have a really great support system. So I was also pregnant, 10 weeks pregnant <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at the time. Exactly. So emotions were already extraordinarily heightened. I remember my dad telling me, Corey, this is going to be a 72 hour news cycle and then it's going to go away. And boy, was he wrong. <laughs> it ended up really catching fire and it resonated with so many people. And I'm, I'm happy that people found a voice in my story, um, that, you know, there was good that came out of it in that regard. I, I was happy to see the girls on that team stand up and speak at a school board meeting yeah, girls yeah, that, that, um, you know, I wouldn't have thought would have that kind of poise under pressure and they did. And that, you know, was just extraordinary. It brought me to tears, you know, watching that it was streamed live. It was a big event. I, I watched it streamed live. And I just remember thinking, wow, those girls have come so far and just being so proud of them in that moment. So there was a lot of good that came out of that. But yeah, I have a great support system. You know, my parents are here, my husband, my brother and his family. I mean, I just, I I had, you know, my coaching support system here that really just held me up in those times. And it was hard. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, I I remember thinking, you know, this, this was my dream job. This was what I was here for. What is happening? But like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, change it now. I've, I'm immensely thankful to like Canyon ISD for taking me in and allowing me to thrive as a speech language pathologist for them. And I would not change the career pivot in, in where I'm at now. I would change obviously if I could, how public it was, but I'm thankful for where I'm at now. Was there ever a thought that you might just go someplace else? Even, even if you didn't go into coaching, if you took that speech pathology, and go someplace where you don't have this very public baggage or story following yeah. you everywhere. Um, you know, I think now the story doesn't really follow me as much anymore. Yeah. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enough removed from it that people will kind of look at me like, Hey, you kind of look familiar. And I'm like, well, I was that volleyball coach, you know, that there was a thing. <laughs> there was back a thing. In yeah. Um, so, but even still to this day, I get about a job offer a year to come coach volleyball. Somebody kind of wants me to come back. And, you know, I just work part-time now. I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm like, I'll come be your volleyball coach if I can do it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 8 to 4. And that's not realistic. You right. know, I just I don't want to give up that part-time gig that I've got. But um, I looked at some athletic administration areas and the uh, jobs in the Metroplex, um, looked at a couple of coaching jobs. Um, when Randall opened up, when Coach Culpepper left, I, I took a – a look at that job. And, you know, I, I came back to the point where I thought, okay, I'm clearly not supposed to be in coaching right now. Like let's, let's follow this pivot. Let's take it. Let's see where it's going and, and go from there. You haven't closed that door though, or have you? (sighs) I miss the camaraderie of coaching. I miss the relationships. I don't miss the hours. Mm -hmm. I don't miss, um, you know, feeling anxious whenever I get an email from a parent you know, what's, what's this email going to say? I don't, I don't miss those things, but I miss the girls and I miss building those relationships and fostering that growth in young women and that leadership in young women. Um, so maybe when my daughters get older, Mm -hmm. there'll be a way back in for into it for me. But at this point, not right now. Tell me about your job now. What are you doing? I am a speech language pathologist for Canyon ISD. I also work um, PRN for BSA, and I'm actually getting my doctorate in speech language really? pathology. Okay. I am, yes. So I should graduate with that in August. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. I work um, with grades five, six, seven, and eight at Canyon Intermediate School, and I love it. I work for a great principal. 
Uh, Dr. Flushi, the superintendent at Canyon, is amazing. I feel very thankful and very blessed to work there. That's a position or a title that most people have heard, but unless they had a child who was sure. benefiting from it, may not fully understand mm-hmm. what it means. So tell us tell us what that means. So we treat um, all kinds of communication disorders, um, language disorders, articulation disorders. The vast majority of my caseload is kids that have a hard time saying there are sound okay. um, or have some sort of just language issue, um, comprehension kind of issue where we just support them in those needs and um, basically do therapy at the school. Uh, Canyon ISD is actually doing some really cool stuff uh, right now with treating the R sound. So last year we wrote a grant. I wrote a grant for an ultrasound sound probe. And we're using ultrasound technology to show kids their oral cavity while Mm -hmm. they say the R sound, because it's not a sound that's visible from the outside. So that's really cutting edge technology in our field. And Canyon ISD is using it to support these kids who have these challenges saying their R sound. That's something that I I think probably all of us remember having had friends who couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, do we know why that happens? Is it a physical, the, the way that there's a lot of different etiologies for that? Um, there's the R sound. It can be produced so many different ways that it's kind of hard to pinpoint what's causing a distortion in that sound for each kid. The ultrasound technology takes us to a place where we can visualize the tongue and help them see what their shape of their tongue looks like when they do make the sound Hmm. correctly and, and replicate that process over and over again. It's so complicated. I know like we, we think of it as, Oh, we'll just make that sound, but like so many different things are happening. Yes, It's so abstract. And especially for a kiddo who is, is second really to fourth grade, giving them those cues of what to do with their tongue. Yeah. Just is so abstract for them. So giving, I don't know what my tongue is. You don't ever think think about about it. it. So being able to give them a visual of that has been, has been really helpful for those kids. I want to talk to close this section about, how you feel about this area because it has been the home for some enormous successes you've had. Mm -hmm. It's been the location for some significant pain and trauma. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you say you, you get a feeling when you get an email from a parent, like like, it's almost Mm -hmm. like a traumatic response that comes up. Absolutely. Um, And yet you're still living here. You're still raising your family here. Mm -hmm. You're still working here. I wonder if you can articulate why, like why you have stayed here and, and what's kept you here. What happened to me, Emerald High, is not indicative of this entire area. That was really an isolated event that I don't think um, speaks to the culture of this area. Um, I think what speaks greater to that are people like Joe Lombard, Jason Pillion, Dale Blout, Jan Barker, the people that built careers here, that stayed here for many, many years, those, that's the kind of culture that I see in this area. Those are the kind of coaches that I want my kids to play for. The the education that we see um, in Canyon ISD, the fine arts programs, the agriculture programs, the, the opportunities for kids here are just endless. And mm-hmm. that's really important. The values of this community, just the culture here is what I want my kids to be a part of. And I, I don't regret ever being here. And I, I love this place is why we're still here. My husband's from Kentucky yeah. and he, we're still here. <laughs> um, anytime we go back to Kentucky and we see the trees and the green, we're like, why do we live where we live? Um, but it's because of the people here and the relationships that we have here that my family has built here, you know, over decades. And so, yeah, that's why, that's why we're still here. 
This episode of Hamarillo is supported by Amarillo Habitat for Humanity, which works with families across the city to provide an alternative path to home ownership. This includes financial stability courses, volunteer construction, sweat equity from the families, and reasonable down payments and no interest loans. It's not a free giveaway. Strong and stable homes help build strong and stable communities. There are a lot of great nonprofits in Amarillo. You've heard about a bunch of them on this podcast, but Habitat is the only one that focuses on affordable home ownership. It helps people help themselves, and that's why I really do love this organization. Thanks to Amarillo Habitat for Humanity for sponsoring this podcast. Learn more at amarillohabitat.org. Okay, I'm back with Corey Clements. Corey, this is a part of the show called Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes dozens of rare and historic vehicles, including the 1916 Detroit Electric Model 66 Brougham, which had 42 batteries and would run 65 to 100 miles before you had to recharge the batteries. Um, that was in 1916. So, like, wow. electric vehicles <laughs> are crazy. not new. <laughs> Um, I from, have no idea. Yeah, it's I know. In my it's, backyard in it's Canyon. A, it's a, such a cool, weird little vehicle yes. there. But like John Rockefeller Jr. had one. Thomas Edison wow. had one. They were they were popular amazing. for a little bit of time. <laughs> um, okay, so you can see that vehicle and learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, when you think of Amarillo and Canyon 10 years from now, what do you hope for? One, to still be here. I want my okay. kids to grow up here. And I hope to see just the local economy continue to thrive. My husband and I love hitting the local restaurants and um, local places. We have so many great treasures here in Amarillo. The Don Harrington Discovery Center, the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, just a lot of um, gems that I think in this area. Mm-hmm. And I hope those are still thriving. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Dirt. <laughs> too much dirt. Um, too much that is wind, wind related. From yes, time to time. yes. Um, I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that. I would say that the wind is the one thing that just really makes me question why we're here sometimes. Okay. Well, that's yeah, yeah, that's pretty universal yeah. for residents. Okay, what does this area not have enough of? I don't think we have enough craft breweries. So okay. we are totally into like the craft brew scene. We love Pondicetta. We're so excited that they're coming to Canyon. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see that market kind of grow a little bit more. We we like that. Pondicetta really has done a great job at building like a community yes. with the stuff that they do. And I'm excited to see how that changes or yeah. how it evolves with, with Canyon involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that's such a cool project. Yeah. And the location down there at that old, um, the train depot. Train depot. Yeah. yeah that's going to be so cool. And we're just really excited that they're coming to Canyon. Okay. Yeah. Cool. What's one local nonprofit you personally appreciate? I really like Refugee Language Project. Okay. Uh, my sister-in-law works for them. She teaches English classes down there, and they just really do the Lord's work there and um, take in those refugees and help them. It, it goes far beyond language. They help them get their kids registered for school, get the furniture they need, fill out job applications, um, those kinds of things. So I, I really appreciate the the work that they do. Yeah, Ryan Pennington is a former guest on this podcast. Yeah. One of the things I really like is that it's not – it's not like a class related to English. It's right. relationships yes. in which conversation is how mm-hmm. both both parties learn. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. What's your favorite local coffee shop? 
Okay, so lately it's been the Sad Monkey Mercantile. Okay, uh, have you been out there yet? I have. I have not had coffee there. Okay, though. so they they've got they make great coffee. Um, I would have said Palace and Canyon. We really love that location too. But we live on on the Sad Monkey side of town, basically, okay. and we take our kids out there, and they can run around. And they, my son loves the Longhorns. Can get a cup of coffee. They got a food truck. So we, you know, that's that's where we like to. That's where we spend our time. Okay, it's a really fantastic just hangout place we love it i hope that they continue to do well and um it, it's a great spot okay uh what's your favorite local restaurant or food truck i love green chili willies okay. i mean i just it i love a good chicken fried steak and that's probably if any given night when they say where do you want to go to eat that's that's where i like to go Probably one of the best chicken fried steaks in the area. I, I would think. have to say so. Yeah, they, and Feldman's and Canyon's got a great one yep. too. Um, so those would probably be my two favorite places to get to get a good chicken fry. Okay, what's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? You know, it's not underrated, but Paladera Canyon is just a gem of our community. And my husband and I always talk about how we have got to get our kids out there. Mm-hmm. We have got to spend more time out there because there's this this huge canyon right in our backyard. And um, it's not underrated, but it's, you know, we don't utilize it enough with our family. And that's something that we wanted to do more. Are your kids at the age where they can appreciate getting outside my two oldest are. Yes, like, I have a four-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a one-year-old. Okay. So my four-year-old and my two-and-a-half-year-old would love it out there. And we, we we really have made it a priority this year to get them okay. out there more. That's a, that's a lot to wrangle on a trail, though. It is. It <laughs> is, yes. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned Paladero Canyon. When's the last time you visited the canyon? Um, I would say the last time we went to Sad Monkey, we did a drive-through. So okay. it was probably late fall. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good time. It is a Canyon. great time to get out there. Yeah. Okay. That concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? There's two organizations here that I think are doing a great job for young sports for young for young athletes. Kids Inc. Obviously, Jimmy Lackey does a great job over there. My kids will play Kids Inc. My niece and nephew play Kids Inc. But I also think We Sports, um, run by Chastity Natural, is doing a great job. My kids, my my daughter is doing We Volleyball, so it's for okay. three to five year olds. Wow! Um, and she does We Track, We Softball, We Basketball, We Volleyball, and so it gives those younger kids who are too young for Kids Inc. an avenue to work on coordination mm-hmm. and. Figure out how to practice run. catching a ball, practice yeah. rolling a ball, practice passing a ball, um, and I think that's a really good a really good part of this area. So I would definitely recommend parents who have young kids to look into uh, it's Wii sports or 10 sports. Um, but yeah, that's a, a really okay. great, uh, but kids Inc. Yeah. I mean, they're the best. My dad, you know, kids Inc. Sponsors the Panhandle sports hall of fame. And my dad and I were just inducted together right, together. The first this, yeah. father daughter mm-hmm. duo to yes, be this past summer. And you know, it, what was so special about that was I started my career playing kids Inc. volleyball. And then to finish with that kind of, um, pinnacle yeah. award was just really special. Do you know yet how you'll talk to your own kids about playing, about participating in competitive sports? Will you allow them into it as opposed to pushing them into it? I mean, do you have complicated feelings related to it you know, at this point? I'm not really sure. I think every parent says, I will or won't do this, that, or the other. And then you look back 10 years and you're like, wow. But I, you don't know until yeah, you're, you you're in it. Yeah. So, you know, of course, 
they're always around it. So I suspect that they'll drum up some interest in it. Um, my son can shoot basketball hoops on his little basketball goal for an hour. Um, so we watch it. It's on in our house. We go to a lot of sporting event games. So I think that they'll probably be interested in it in some capacity because they're just exposed to it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just want them to, to have fun. Uh, to learn to work with other people and to learn to treat other people well. Those are our our goals. And whatever avenue they use to learn those things, we'll support them in. All right. Corey Clements, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank (laughs) you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Corey for the interview, especially for her vulnerability in talking about a difficult time in her life, a, a really very public decision um, it was a big deal at the time, and, and so I'm grateful that uh, that she was willing to talk about that. Thanks also to Amarillo Habitat for Humanity and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the podcast, and to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of the support of listeners like you, especially the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Patrick Burns, Josh Wood, Cindy Graham, Wes Reeves, Corey Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 338. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.